um, to support uh, uh, our Friend Day, which is coming up in just a couple weeks. We're at T-minus two weeks on Friend Day. Friend Day is going to be on October 23rd, and uh, we're gonna, we've got uh, handouts back there for you to be inviting your friends. And we've just been talking some about why we're doing this and why we're doing it as a church, why as individuals need to be engaged in this process. So uh, last week, uh, Dad was speaking, and he said that when Jesus invited those first four guys to follow him, it's an interesting story, and he used uh, Mark chapter 1 as his text for last Sunday. He, Jesus made it really clear that his agenda for them uh, was basically one point. He said, I want you to follow me, and when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something that you're not already. I want you to follow me, and when you follow me, I'm going to make you something. And when he told them what he was going to make them, it might have scared them to death. More likely, more scared, they were probably more confused uh, because this was not what they were interested in. They had kind of a kingdom mindset and, and a different kingdom than Jesus was talking about. They had political revolution on their mind, and Jesus said, I'm gonna, I want you to follow me, and here's what I want to make you into. But as we're going to see, they followed him anyway, even though they were a little unclear, unclear as to what all this meant. And as we look at the story of Jesus, what we're going to discover is that his agenda for them is his agenda for me and his agenda for you. It's his agenda for the church. And like those first four guys, it's a little confusing, a little intimidating. But when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I don't think they had a clue what that meant. Do you know what the amazing thing is? A few chapters later, by the end of the New Testament, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had become just that. They had learned to fish for men, for people. They'd become men who took the message they'd heard, the message of the resurrection of Jesus. They'd heard Jesus preach it. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him risen. And they began to share this story in their own spheres of influence, which were all very different, by the way, through their own personalities, which were all very different. And God used these four men to relay that message to a completely different generation of people, a generation of people who understood that it wasn't enough to simply follow, that to follow was to fish, and that followers become fishers of men who shared it with other people. And they understood what it was to follow was to fish, and it's not enough to follow, you've got to fish. And they shared it with another group of people, and then they shared it with another group of people and another generation of people. And here we are, halfway around the world 2,000 years later, celebrating and living for and worshiping a Jewish carpenter, not simply because people followed Jesus, but because a group of people understood that to follow is to fish. And we learned that last week, that all the temporary stuff in life has eternal value if we allow Jesus to make us into fishers of men. All those, you know, those prayers, those show me, show me, lead me, lead me, guide me, protect me, help me, save me, heal me stuff. God has the ability to take all of that and to shape it in such a way that you are perfectly positioned because of where you are and because of who you are and because of your life experience that you would be perfectly positioned in the life of someone to be the preeminent fisher of men in that person's life. We said that ultimately God would perfectly position you to impact another person and their faith in Christ because of what you've experienced. And whether you see it or not, as you follow Jesus, you've been and will continue to be perfectly positioned because of who you are, the experiences you've had to be the person God wants to use to be a fisher of men, to be a fisher of women in someone's life. We wrapped up our time together last week saying that the reason we need to fish for people is because the message of Jesus isn't an intuitive message. You'll never know it or figure it out unless you're told. And Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says that there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We fish because we believe that 2,000 years ago a man came to this earth and he was sent by God to be the salvation for anyone who would accept it. And that's why we talk about it. 
And so he said that, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But here's the deal. We're kind of scared to do that. We're uncomfortable with the whole idea. We're scared to talk to other people about Jesus. We've got a long list of reasons why. And some of them are even legitimate. And one of the reasons is because we've made it so complicated. So let's just talk about that. Uh, is everybody comfortable temperature-wise? Is it warm in here? Let's turn some fans on. Because I just... Usually it's the person standing here. It's the warmest in the room. So I just want to ask if anybody else is with me. So... And if you get cold, borrow a jacket from somebody. It's all about my comfort, so just so you know. Uh, one of the reasons that some of the people that you love the most have rejected Christianity is because they don't understand it. And the reason they don't understand it is because people like me, preachers, and people like you, church people, have made it complicated. But the gospel isn't complicated. Fishing for men and fishing for women really isn't complicated either. In fact, what's amazing about the gospel is that no matter where a person comes from, no matter what country they live in, no matter what language they speak, no matter how, you know, how wonderful their family of origin or how dysfunctional their family of origin, no matter how many times they've been married or if they've been married or if they ever care to be married or how old they are, how young they are, doesn't matter. The amazing thing is everybody gets in the same simple way. There aren't 142 varieties of becoming a Christian to match up with every nationality and language and cultural and ethnic background and every function and dysfunction. It's very, very simple. But preachers and seminaries and churches and Christians have made it sound very, very complicated. And so consequently, there are people who have rejected what they think Christianity is when the truth is they don't really understand what Christianity is to even reject it. They've rejected a caricature of Christianity. They've rejected a distortion of Christianity. And some of us have been a part of that. So what I want to do for, for a few minutes is I want to answer two questions. Um, not so that you'll have this information for the first time, because for many of you in this room, uh, you're followers of Jesus. We're still trying to figure out this whole fishing for men thing. But I want to give this, try to answer a couple questions here. I'm going to throw them out and then try to answer them so that you and I can explain to people when the opportunity arises what it means to be a Christian. And I want to present this in such a way that you can memorize it, you're like, I can't memorize stuff. Trust me, you can memorize this. And maybe for the rest of your life, as you talk to your children, you talk to your grandchildren, you talk to your coworkers, you talk to your friends, you talk to your extended family members. And when, that, when they come to that point where they're like, okay, well, how do you do this? How do you like this whole Christianity thing? How do you kind of get started? And where, how do you become a Christian, if you want to use that phrase? What does that even mean or look like? That you would have, that you can you know, simply and succinctly and clearly explain it to them because you don't have to be able to unravel all the mysteries of creation and evolution to become a Christian. Aren't you glad? I'm no quantum physicist. I don't get it all, okay? You don't have to understand who the Antichrist is and who the four-legged winged creature coming out of the lake and the rider on the back of the, that one particular horse. And You know what I mean? You don't have to understand all that. You don't have to understand the law and memorize the Ten Commandments. You don't have to know how many Josephs there are in the Old Testament, how many Johns there are in the New Testament, how they all related to each other and draw a family tree. You don't have to know all that. You don't have to understand how the Bible all fits together and what every book, where it comes from and what it means and who wrote it in the, in the background and the context. And how do you pronounce it? Is it Malachi or is it Malachi? I don't know. Is, was he Jewish or was he Italian? I don't know. You don't have to answer any of that stuff, okay? Unfortunately, we make it complicated when God made it extraordinarily simple. So I want to answer two questions in a way that, that you could answer for the rest of your life, and these two questions are this. Number one, what does a person need to know to become a Christian? And then what does a person need to do to become a Christian? 
And we're talking these last few weeks about getting ready for Friend Day and be having intentional conversations with our unchurched friends and maybe people who are far from God or just haven't given God a thought in a long, long time. And we're just talking about how to cultivate those relationships and how to introduce some things into conversation. So I want you to be prepared if they ask you some questions. So we're going to ask, what does a person need to know to become a Christian and what does a person need to do to become a Christian? The great thing is this. The answer to these two questions is the same answer for everyone who's ever walked the planet. The answer to these two questions is so extraordinarily simple that we tend to go past it, and, and then we complicate it, and we add stuff to it, and we, add, we go down this path, and then down that path, and then we're, you know, and, and it gets so distorted. So let's make it our goal for the rest of our lives that the people that we know and love, if they decide to reject Jesus and Christianity, which many of them might, Let's make sure they're rejecting Jesus and Christianity and not some other thing that we've created to explain some things that we don't really even understand. Because the truth is, sometimes uh, it gets really, really complicated. And I'll tell you, the longer you're around church, the more likely you are to complicate it. And the more that you become a churchy insider, I know who you are. You're the first seven people that show up for breakfast, so I know who you are. So uh, <laughs> we know. We know who we are. We're, we self-identify. Because sometimes uh, it starts to look like this. Watch this video. This, this paints a picture, I think. All right, Mr. and Mrs. Phillips. It looks like we've gotten everything in order and uh, all your references have checked out uh, without any problems whatsoever. Uh, looks like we'll get you done today, and we can get you out of here in no time. Now I need to get both of your initials and signatures. If you could please initial for me here, 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 and sign here. Here's something for you. Very good. Outstanding. Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, congratulations on your new Christian life. Thanks. Thank you. Just a few more things we need to go over before you leave. Let me go ahead and give you this to help you get started. Now, we do believe that the Bible is gospel. However, there are a few more rules that we think you need to be familiar with and understand. Please take some time, read this, familiarize yourself with it. You don't want to do anything that's going to make you be in breach of contract of the document you sign. Please understand it. There will be a test. Let me give you a little bit more information here. Here you'll find some information like wearing a tie in the Lord's table. Make sure you wear a dress on Sundays, not those pants you have on now. Uh, and here's some information about giving to a poor beggar. Make sure you do it at least once a month, but not if he smells like liquor. And make sure you invite a friend quarterly. Oh yeah, how many cars do you have? Two. Two. Two, oh nice. You need to place these on each of your cars. Oh yes, I forgot to Here's your third day CD. Make sure you learn songs one and four by Sunday. Has anybody told you about our potlucks? No, 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 not potlucks. Okay, well here's some information on our potlucks. You might want to stop by the grocery store on your way home, pick up some tuna and cream of mushroom soup. You know, trust me about that. And also, remember, when you're in line at the potlucks, only take one deviled egg. Okay, I know it's gonna be tempting. I know you're gonna to wanna to take more, but only take one. You hear me, okay? You're going to need this. 
Make sure you put a couple squirts on before you leave the house and you should be good. It smells like old. I know, isn't it great? Here are your offering envelopes. This should get you by for a couple of weeks. Make sure you don't get them out of sequence. It just drives the accountant crazy when you do. Man, it's great to have another brother and sister in the family. Amen? 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 No, 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 no. Hallelujah. Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, I just want to thank you again for joining the Association of Eternal Salvation. I think you'll be very glad that you did. I think you'll find your life to be very rewarding. Yeah, so that might actually be funnier if it wasn't a little bit true. <laughs> and we've, we've complicated the gospel, and as a church, we're guilty of that. Um, the good news is this. It could be that you're here today, and you're not a Christian, or you don't know. You're pretty sure you're a Baptist, or you're a Charismatic, or you're a Catholic, or you're still trying to figure it out. You've got lots of questions. Probably one of the reasons you're, you've still got uh, both feet on the brakes, it, it, maybe you're afraid of, of, maybe you're afraid that what you're rejecting isn't even the real thing, you know? And I'm so, I'm so glad that you're, you're here today to hear this message because I hope it brings some clarity. At the same time, listen, if you're a total skeptic or maybe uh, somebody begged you to come to church and you came and you ate some muffins and now you're wondering what the deal is, uh, maybe you're here to get people off your back or maybe you're genuinely seeking this morning and, and you're at a place where you've never been before, I'm really glad you're here because you may for the rest of your life reject Jesus and Christianity, which you have every right to do as a human. But I'm thrilled you're going to hear and maybe understand for the first time exactly what it is that you've decided not to buy into. So that at least you can understand what it is when you talk about it and what it means to, to be a Christian. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to probably the most famous, the most well-known verse in the entire New Testament, or maybe in the entire Bible. So we're going to turn to which book? You're right. What chapter? Anybody? Okay, now some, some non-church Non-churchy people, you didn't grow up in the church, but you have watched at least one NFL football game. What verse are we turning to? All right. Okay. What I want to do today is I want to help you to be able to kind of take this one verse and explain it to someone, what they need to know and what they need to do to become a Christian. So that for the rest of your life, you don't have to memorize, you know, four verses and go through the application process like the couple on the screen there. And you don't have to, uh, you know, cross-reference you know, 97 Bible verses, just, just this one verse has the whole message. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to highlight four words, and you can mark these verses in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. If you, I mean, if you own it, that's good. Uh, and, or if you aren't comfortable marking in your Bible, um, I've, I've printed the verses on a card we're going to give to you in a few minutes, and we'll, we'll hand them out in a little bit. But I want, to give, I want you to circle four words. You have a Bible app. You can highlight them, and uh, we're going to work through, the rest of this, work through this verse so that for the rest of your lives, we can sit down with any of our friends and family members and, and say, here, Here's what you've got to know, and here's what we've got to do. It's all in one verse. Before we jump into this, just let me qualify it this way. Becoming a Christian, let me tell you what it's not, okay? It's not about attending church. Did you know that? I mean, you'd, it's kind of, that's, that's a surprising admission from a pastor, 
uh, or from in, in, a, in a church setting because we just hound on hound people on this and we harp on this all the time. You, you know, be in church, you're going to be in church, we want to invite you to church and so on. But a lot of times when you talk to people about faith and Christianity, they'll say something, well, I really need to get back in church. Well, that's nice, and I even recommend that. I believe in the church, and we put a lot of time and energy into, uh, into church, and that's good. But becoming a Christian and being a Christian has nothing to do with attending church. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Nor are we talking about getting your life together and straightening your life out. See, one of the reasons some of the people that we love and care about have rejected Christianity is because they equate Christianity with, you know, straighten up, smarten up, clean up, get it together, and they've tried, and they're not very good at that. And they fail, and they get some things together, and then they slip back again, and they fail again. And the message of Christianity is not pull your life together. Neither is it pray a prayer. For some of you, if you were raised in a church culture like that, if you were raised to believe that a person became a Christian by simply praying a prayer, that you've you know, you got to pray a prayer, and here's what it is, and I've got it memorized, and I have it posted in a thing in the back of my Bible, just in case I ever forget it. You know, if I can just get my son or my daughter or my neighbor to pray this prayer, they'll be a Christian. Um, do you know, and it's okay to argue if you want to argue with me on this sometime, you can invite me up for coffee because I like coffee and arguing, uh, and, and, but uh, you, you can debate me on this, but I challenge you first to look it up in Scripture. There's no example in the whole Bible of anyone praying a prayer to become a Christian. It's not in the Bible. There's no reference in the whole New Testament about praying a prayer to become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by praying a prayer or filling out a decision card or by walking down a church aisle during the 11th verse of a slow song. Here's a big one. You don't become a Christian by getting baptized. You're like, so why did I do that then? That, that's a big one. It's a big one. Getting baptized has nothing to do with you becoming a Christian. Baptizing, baptism, and this is what we teach our kids, is simply an outward reflection of an inward connection. It's an outward expression of something that's already happened on the inside of you. And if you're leaning into your baptism that maybe you don't even remember as your basis for your relationship with God, then you're leaning on the wrong thing. And yeah, we believe that baptism is important. We believe church attendance is important. But those aren't, that's not the way we come to Christ and, and enter into a relationship with him. You don't become a Christian by committing yourself to God. Some of you are very good people. Some of you, few of you, are really great, good people. You know some, uh, you know some good people. All of you know some good people. And, and they'd say, well, I just haven't committed myself to God, and I have my own life right now, and I want to kind of call the shots for right now. One day I'll commit myself to God, and I'll kind of do the church thing. You know what? Becoming a Christian has nothing to do with that either. For some of you, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's because we've made it complicated. We've made it difficult to sort out. We've made it so intangible and so multi-layered to the point where people are like, well, I don't know if I am one or not. I've been going to church for, you know, 28 years, and I don't know, maybe now I don't know. I'm not sure. Because we've distorted and confused the message. This one verse, Jesus answers the most important questions. What do you need to know, and what do you need to do? So let's look at this verse together, John 3, verse 16. Uh, yeah, John, John 3, 16. This is an incredibly familiar verse, and so here's what I want to just kind of caution you about before we read it. As we read this through this verse, uh, if you can approach this like you've never heard it before, okay? So we're going to be really deliberate about this because uh, it's, it's, it, it's easy to just kind of recite it from memory for a lot of people in this room. Um, so let's, let's read it. Here we go. John 3, verse 16. We're going to get started. For God so, here's the first word, loved. Circle that word. If you're a circler, if you're a Bible app person, highlight it. If you want to write some notes, uh, just write that word. God loved. For God so loved the world. God loved. Do you know what people uh, who aren't Christians need to know, first of all? That God loved. That's what they need to know. Say that with me. God loved. 
The Bible says he loved the whole world. And this is good news because some people, maybe you too, are running from God, running from God because they think that God is chasing them to get his hands on them. And you're like, you know, like he's, I got you, my little pretty, you know, and all this, I got some fire for you, scarecrow. And that somehow God is coming after you. And, and if that's what you think, be like, man, I'd want to run too. It's kind of silly when you think about running from God, but we do that, and we do it by saying, not now, not now, not now, not now, not now, not now. Let me wait till you know, I'm busy right now, i got stuff going on, i got a lot of, it's complicated, and uh, not now. Because we miss the very first part of what we need to know as a Christian, that God loved. God loved, so loved the world. He hasn't, it doesn't say that God was so ticked off at the world. Because if he was ticked off at the world, he might have just ignored it. God was so ticked off at the world that he ignored the world and didn't do a darn thing. That's how the verse would go. God wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. He was in love because you and I reflect his image. Verse goes on. So for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. God loved and God gave. This is what you need to know to become a Christian. Do you know what the people who, that, that we love need to know to become a Christian? Just two things. God loved the world. God gave. God loved the world and God gave his son. That's it. You don't have to know who the first two people on the planet were, what their children's names were. Where did they find their wives anyway? And how did Noah get the dinosaurs on the ark? What dinosaurs? I don't know. And all you need to know, sorry to confuse you, to become a Christian is God loved, God gave. Let's say that together. God loved, God gave. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to repeat this a lot, so just get ready, okay? God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins. He gave what was most precious for us, for you, for me. That proves he wasn't angry. He was in love. It proves he wasn't, chast- he wasn't chasing us to chastise us. He was chasing us to rescue us. Do you ever chase your child because they were headed down the driveway into the street? It's that kind of deal. And they're like, oh, no, here comes mom. And they're just trucking it right down the, into the street. And they're like, I got to go get him before he gets to the street. God loved. God gave. He loved the world. He gave his son. And that's all you need to know to become a Christian. And you're like, well, I, I have friends who don't believe that. Well, that's their choice. Let's just be sure that what they don't believe is the issue. It's okay if they don't believe some of the stuff in you know, in, Gen- in Genesis and some of the stuff they can't figure out in Revelation and they think Paul was a chauvinist because of what he wrote about women that's neither here nor there, whatever. Those are, those are interesting discussions. But the real issue is God loved, God gave. So say it with me again. God loved and God gave. So I hope you've circled loved and gave because people who are in love give to those they love. That just makes sense. So what's the answer to the, that's, a, that's the answer to the question, what do you need to know? Here's the answer, what do you need to do? What did God do? God loved, God gave. What do we need to know? That's what we need to know to become a Christian. Here's the next part. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in, circle believes in. That is, the person that believes in Jesus, the son, shall not perish. What we need to know about God is that God loved and God gave. And what we need to do to become a Christian is to believe in. And here's the interesting thing, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I read some things by people who are. In Greek, the little, that little phrase combination of believe, which is a, ver- which is a verb, and in, which is a preposition, um, those two words together in English mean trust in. Not just believe that, but trust in. And there's a, there's a big difference between believing and trusting. We need to know that God loved and God gave. And what we need to do is trust in. 
the, the closest picture that I can think of of what, what, what the difference is between believe and trust is this stool. Because I, I trust in this stool. It's here every Sunday. I trust in it. And, uh, and uh, so I'm just going to put it right there. And I just, I trust in this stool. Am I trusting in it right now? Am I practically, am I trusting in that stool? Not really. I believe that it will hold me, but I'm not trusting in it as long as I'm standing here. How about if I lift it up and show it to you? And I'll show you, you can see it from all angles, and you know, you can study it, and it was probably made in, yep, Malaysia, and uh, it's solid something. And uh, yeah, we can, we can study it and believe in it, and that's, that's all great. The stool. <laughs> Am I trusting in it now? I'm still not trusting in it. I can talk about it all day long, and we can take pictures of it. We can post it on Facebook and, you know, get a million likes, but I'm not trusting in it. I'm just talking about it and believing in it. Because if I go around the room and say, well, you've got to trust in the stool. Trust in the stool is the thing you need to do. Here's where a lot of our friends are. Maybe you're here too. It's like, yeah, nice. This is a nice stool. Yeah, that's sweet. They're kind of leaning on the stool. But you take the stool away from me, and I can quickly stand up. It's not, I haven't put my full weight in it. You know, it's like, well, I go to church on Easter and Christmas, and I go to funerals, and, it's, and sometimes they make me feel better about the whole, you know, that whole process, and because I hear some stuff, and it's warm and fuzzy, and the poems are nice. And uh, so that's all great. But the rest of my life, I, you know, whatever. Here's what it means to believe in. is when you put all of your weight in. That's the difference between, believe in, between uh, believing and trusting. So this definition, and we have the words we have are believe in. And the best, a, a better English translation of that is trust in. So let's take it from here to throwing our weight into it. Um, there's a lot more, there's a lot more uh, at stake when we trust in. So we know that God loved and God gave. What we need to do is believe in slash trust in, all right? Believing that what God sent Christ to do on our behalf counted, and when he died, he died for our sin. So let's review. What do people uh, who, who we want to become Christians need to know? They need to know that, say it with me, God loved and God gave. And then what do we need to do? We need to believe. Oh, you can say, okay, believe slash trust. Let's complicate it. Uh, God, <laughs> see what we do? Uh, God loved, God gave. We need to believe. Do you know what that means? It means we don't need to commit to because being a Christian isn't committing to God. It's really about understanding that he's made a commitment to us. It's not about promising God. It's about receiving his promise. It's not about giving to God. It's about receiving his gift. God loved, God gave, we believe. When somebody gives you a gift at the end of the day, you have something, right? So Jesus, through John, goes on to tell us that we have, there's a result of believing in him. Here's what he says at the end, that whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, spend eternity without God, but have, that's the next word I want you to circle, but have eternal life. God loved, God gave. We believe, we receive. This is really important. Eternal life is not the promise of living forever. You're like, whoa, what? Mm -mm. Eternal life is, is... is not, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to live forever. Here's the good news and the bad news. Everybody lives somewhere forever. 
That's why Jesus came. Everybody lives forever somewhere. You know what's strange? And you know that. I know that. It doesn't matter what you believe. There's something in you, if you're honest, that wonders what's going to happen to me when I die. And just, just think about what an odd question that is. I wonder what's going to happen to me when I die. I mean, really, you don't know? Have you never been to a funeral? <laughs> You've seen what happens when you die, haven't you? I mean, for those of you who avoid funerals at all costs, I know who you are. Uh, you come up with all kinds of excuses so you don't have to go to a funeral. Uh, so I talked with some of my friends at a funeral home at the, at, uh, about funerals and the burial process and all that and all that goes into that. And uh, they got me some, they got some pictures for me and I want to talk you through this process. So if we can fire some of those pictures of the preparation for... No, we're not going to show that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just sick that you thought I would actually do that. <laughs> Let's simplify that process in a nutshell. They put makeup on you. They put you in a box. They put you under some pink lights. They say some nice things about you. They dig a hole and they bury you and they plant some grass. Why are you asking this question? What's going to happen to me when I die? I mean, haven't you seen archaeological digs on the History Channel? You know, the ones where they find human skeletal remains? and like, what do, you, what do you mean what's going to happen to me when I die? You know the answer to that. We can go on a field trip right now to the nearest cemetery and see what happens when we die. Why is it that in spite of all the physical evidence, there's something in you and something in me that goes, I wonder what happens when I die? I mean, are we just not paying attention? Do we need two or three more funerals to convince us that we're, that's kind of where we're all headed? Do we all need to go to the cemetery and go, oh, so this is it? How could I have missed this? No, because in your heart and in your soul, as much as you might want to ignore it, you know, you know, you know, there's more to life than this life. You know what? My neighbors and my family members and my coworkers who I love who aren't Christians, and your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers who you love, in spite of what they say, in spite of the arguments, and you know, well, how could and what about and did Jesus really and all that stuff, in their heart of hearts, when they lie in bed at night and stare into the darkness, they wonder what's going to happen to me when I die. And somehow, seeing people in a box and buried in the ground doesn't satisfy their curiosity, and here's why. Because we bear the thumbprint of God. We are eternal beings. We are made in his image. And the promise of what God gives us when we put our faith in in Christ is not the promise of, hey, here's some good news. Now you get to live forever. No, everybody lives forever. What you're promised and what you were given when you put your faith in Christ is eternal life. It's a God life. It's a brand new life, which translates into a brand new standing with God. And that's why when people become Christians over time, they change. You ever seen that happen? Maybe you've experienced it yourself. And if you talk to people and they're, they're never like, well, I became a Christian and it was incredible. I became more disciplined. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily, you never heard that. I became a Christian, man, I, I really dug down and tried harder. It was great. You don't hear that. What you hear is I became a Christian and things began to change. And it, some of it was right away and some of it took a few years, but I began this process of change, and I, don't even, I can't even put my finger on it. I don't know what it was, really. I'll tell you what it was. You got new life. You got the ability to handle temptation differently. You got a brand new worldview, a brand new set of lenses to see things differently. You began to see yourself differently. You got a brand new life. It got what Jesus promised, eternal life. So here's what we need to know, and here's what we need to do. We need to know that God loved, God gave. You need to believe in, and as a result, you receive eternal life.
God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Let's say that together. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Here's a question you've you got you, you to gotta ask, I know. You're like, okay, Todd, if it's that simple, why this? Why 66 books? Why 1,189 chapters? Why all this fine print on really thin paper? Why, why all of this? If it's that simple, couldn't God have just printed it out on a 3 by 5 card for us? I mean, no wonder we're confused. I mean, have you ever tried to read this? Some of you tried to read this, and some of you made it all the way through. But, man, you get into Leviticus, and you're like, dude, i got to go on a diet, and it's a weird one. i got to no more lobster for me. How can this be? You know, our whole state is just going to hell. So uh, what is that all about? Somehow we're exempt from Leviticus. I don't know. But you, get to the, you, get, you push all the way through, and you get to Revelation, and you're like, whoa, nobody's going to make it. Now I'm really confused. You read the Apostle Paul, and you're like, nobody can understand that. And you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're like, this, these stories sound familiar, but they're not the same. Why can't they all get their stories straight? And no wonder we're confused. I mean, could it, could it possibly be this simple, that God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive? The answer is absolutely yes. And the reason we have the Bible isn't to confuse us. The reason we have the Bible is the Bible is the story over hundreds and hundreds of years of God loving the world, of God preparing the world to give us his son. It's the story of men and women going out with the message of if you believe. And it's the story of people whose lives were changed with the gift of eternal life. The Bible's complicated at times. Salvation is not. God loved. God gave. We believe. We receive. I guess Jesus maybe anticipated our question of, you know, could it be that God was angry and mad and coming after us to put a whooping on us? And so in John 3, verse 17, the very next verse, he clears this up. And I love this verse. If you've memorized verse 16, just go ahead and get verse 17 under your belt. Listen, here's, here's what Jesus says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, do you know why God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because it was already condemned. That would not have been new news. If Jesus has shown up and said, you're all condemned and separated from God, nobody would have written that down because we know that. We look in the mirror and we know things aren't well. And we look at what's going on in society. We look at what's going on in our culture. We look at what's going on in other cultures. We look at what's going on in the church for that matter. And I mean, this world is screwed up and we are condemned people. Everything's going the wrong way. And as, I, as hard as I try, even with both feet on the brake, there's still something that wants to carry me and carry our world in the wrong direction. We know that. So Jesus showing, us, showing up and telling us we're condemned, would, what would be the point of that? So Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God didn't send Jesus because he was ticked. He sent him because he was concerned. God loved, so he did what people who love do, he gave. And all we have to do is believe, not perform, and then we have, we receive eternal life. Here's something you can talk about over lunch if this doesn't strike you the right way. Do you know what the truth is about these two verses? People don't spend eternity separated from God because of sin. People don't spend eternity separated from God because of sin. There's a solution for sin. That's why we've got to be so clear. People spend eternity separated from God because they haven't believed in, they haven't trusted and they haven't received the free gift of eternal life. That's the issue. Sin is not a problem for God anymore. It's all been paid for. Jesus took care of that. And the reason the gospel is called good news is, is because it's not about perform better, 
do better, work on your to-do list, be better today than you were yesterday, self-help, this and that, attend something, go to this every week, pray something else. No, the reason it's called good news is because it starts this way. God loved, that's good news. God gave, well, that's good too. We simply believe and we place our trust in, and if we believe and if we place our trust in, that's how we receive eternal life. I think that's incredible. And granted, we're, we're going to share that with people, and they're going to go, well, that, that's nice for you. I don't really believe that. I mean, that's fine. It's their call. Let's just make sure that what they don't believe is really the issue, not all the other peripheral stuff that we tend to add on to make it more complicated. Let's make sure that if people we love are going to reject Christianity, that they're rejecting Jesus and Christianity, not some distortion or complication of the message. Because, see, our responsibility is real simple. Jesus said, follow me. And while you're following me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, because to follow is to fish. So we're to live it out. And sometimes when we're given the right opportunity, we're going to lay it out. Just live it out and lay it out. I printed up some little cards for you, and I've got some people on this side of the room, some people on that side of the room. We're going to put these little cards in your hand right now. So if you guys want to get started with that, that'd be great. We'll try to get one to everybody in the room. And it just has, it has the text from John 3.16 on it, and it just says, you may be surprised to hear this, it says, God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Here's the deal. In this process of being fishers of men, there's going to come a time when then, yeah, we're going to spell it out. Just, they're going to get the cards to you. That's not complicated either. So just kind of stay with me until there's a card in your face. Or should I stop talking while they do that? You want to just stop and watch them? <laughs> no. <laughs> the gospel message is simple. It's not complicated. And as we follow Jesus and as we learn what it means to be fishers of men, people may not always bite. They may not always believe. But it's extraordinarily simple. And our responsibility, listen, our responsibility is to live our lives in such a way that they reflect who Jesus is. That's our responsibility. You with me? Because you're like, oh, man, now i got to think about, now I don't have any excuses. i got to talk to people about this because you made it so simple. Let's just back up a second. Our primary responsibility is to live our lives in such a way that they reflect who Jesus is. That's living it out. Then, at the right moment, because we're going to be perfectly positioned, at the right moment, the right time in the right place, when the opportunity presents itself, to lay it out and have a conversation. And hopefully, for the rest of your life, you can turn to this verse in John chapter 3, and you can jot it down from, on a napkin from memory, and you can circle, God loved, God gave, and if we believe, we receive. And if you're here today and you're thinking, all right, I know you're explaining that so other people can explain it, but, or I can explain it to somebody else, but to be honest, I've never understood that before. I've been doing the church thing, leaning into the baptism thing, all those things, got the checklist down, but I've never really understood this before. I just thought it was way more complicated. I didn't think I could ever get there. As a matter of fact, it's hard for me to even imagine that it's that simple, but this is kind of making sense. So think about it this way. If God wants a relationship with you, wouldn't he have made it simple? What kind of God would he be if he'd made it complicated? And if today, as you were listening, you thought for the first time, I believe that, then I'd love to give you an opportunity to have a moment in time where you can look back and say, that was the day. That was the moment. That was, that was, the, that was the day I became a Christian. I decided to follow Jesus. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer or, roll, you know, or, or, or tell you what to say or roll something on the screen so you can pray along or whatever. Because a, a, a prayer is just a way of saying to God, I understand and I believe. In a minute, we're going to listen to a song. 
And during the song, in your heart, just let God know that I know that you love me. I know you sent Jesus to die for me. I put my trust in him. And I'm not trusting me or anything else. I'm just trusting him. And I want to receive eternal life. And your heavenly Father will honor that simple faith as you embrace this, this simple truth, this most extraordinary, extraordinarily simple and significant good news that we've ever heard. That God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Listen to the song.
one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. Sing that again. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after 